You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Woo! Awesome. Well, uh, I am not talking about football today. I'm so sorry. With all the points and the goals and the, you know, the, the punts and the kick, kick downs and the kick downs. I'm just, sports! Go, go teams! So... But no, I am excited for this week. Thursday is Thanksgiving. Woo, I'm excited to eat more and more and more. In Jesus' name. Yes. Who's uh, staying in town? Who's going out of town? Yeah, it feels like Christmas is more of the going out of town holiday. But Thanksgiving is nice. You usually get to stay at home, be with friends and family. Well, uh, I am very excited to speak with you today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Love you very much. Um, but today I want to talk about groundwork. Groundwork, yes. Um, so groundwork defined is a preliminary work that serves the foundation or basis of something. This week, a lot of you will brave uh, the crowds and the masses at your local Kroger or Walmart and get some food for Thanksgiving, right? You'll make it up, you'll make your favorite dishes, mac and cheese, Tristan, if you're watching right now, you make fun of my mac and cheese and you don't get any this year. So there's that. I'm trying, I'm learning. So, right, you'll brave the masses, you'll go get some food and you'll make a beautiful feast, right? And, um, but Thanksgiving is still gonna come whether you cook or not right? It's still going to be there, but you're invited to the table. You're invited to participate in Thanksgiving, and I think that it's a lot more fun whenever we prepare and whenever we honor the day and we honor the celebration of bringing something to the table. Now, I'm not talking about food, if you can catch on. I'm talking about preparing something to participate to serve a greater purpose. God's inviting you to the table, And we are invited to a feast. So just get ready. It's going to be really good. All right, so groundwork. Groundwork is defined as a preliminary work that serves the foundation or basis of something. If you're going to walk out what God's calling you to, if you're going to walk with him abundantly in this life, if you're going to be a true disciple of Christ, it's going to require some groundwork. It's going to require some discipline and some participation. This is not work that earns your salvation, right? Let's just get this out there. This is not work that earns your salvation. This is not work that earns you God's love and attention, right? He's got eyes on you. He loves you so much. This is not work that earns your identity, but this is work that determines your discipline. Without self-discipline, self-control, and ability to manage and steward ourselves, we will not be able to sustain what God has given us. We will not be able to be the person that God has called us to be. You're not always going to feel motivated, so you must learn the holy art of discipline. And I know that this is not the most uh, fancy, fun message. I was like, oh, great. (laughs) Now I got to go home and write in my calendar about all the disciplinary things that I've been lacking on or whatever. No, 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 no. This is not what this is about. This is a motivational message for you to learn some (laughs) discipline. Can you see the glitter? It's fun. (laughs) It's fun. From a person who loves the idea of discipline, 
an organization and sometimes has two uh, Monica drawers in her kitchen, not one, but two. And I'm referencing friends, you know, the closet that Monica has. She's like known for her like OCD behavior and loves it. And then there's like a mountain of garbage in this one closet she never lets anybody see. I have two of those, <laughs> two of those. So thanks Cody for your patience. But so we're not always gonna feel motivated, but there's a lot of value in one of the fruits of the spirit called self-control and discipline, right? Because it's gonna serve you very well. You know, uh, I have the anointing of winging it. I don't know if anybody shares the same giftings. It's a spiritual gift that Paul forgot to write about called winging it. And in high school, man, that was good practice for me to express this gifting on my life. And one of those was in my English class. My English uh, teacher, she was more like a college professor. She was very discussion-oriented, you know, like cool hippie vibe. She was like, everybody just tell what you feel about the book, and it's great. (laughs) How do you feel? She was awesome. Um, But we had to read Lord of the Rings. And I like to read. I don't really like to read Lord of the Rings, though. No offense (laughs) to my husband which is in his top five favorite films ever made. But it was before we met, so now I'm a big fan, great fan. So, huge fan of Lord of the Rings. I love it. I love watching Star Wars with you, too. So fun. Man. So, so one of our assignments was to read Lord of the Rings, and we weren't told what kind of test we were going to have you know, we would just show up on the day and it would be whatever it was. So I get there and I had read a little bit of it, right? Like I wasn't like completely skipping out of the assignment. I skimmed it, right? And I knew the basis because of the movie, but I had also seen the VeggieTales version called Lord of the Beans. (laughs) And I figured that tells me everything I need to know. Yes, it is real, Lord of the Beans. Yes, Frodo puts a bean to the fire, and it tells him his purpose. So I had seen the VeggieTales version, and the test was an oral discussion. So she split us up into groups, and, you know, what are the themes of the book? What are the motifs? La, 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 la. And, man, I did good. <laughs> I was like, so when Frodo, you know, he, he took the bean, I mean, the ring, it really just, like, meant something to me. La, 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 la. I got an A, guys. I got an A. I passed from lying. Don't lie. Don't lie in school. (laughs) Youths, college people, don't do that. So the next book we read was a book called I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. Beautiful book. It's about the, it's an autobiography of her early childhood. I did not know that when the test came around because I did not read the book. And this time the test was a written test and it's a lot easier to fake participation when you're like, yeah, that's great. But whenever you're alone with a pen and a paper, man, that, that bird just wants to get out of its cage. <laughs> that bird just wants to be free. And you know, she was finally free. And it was a great book. The end, love, Julie. And I got an F. <laughs> I got a big fat F and I deserved it. <laughs> you know, Some things that may have sustained you in the past have worked, but now 
God is calling you to a deeper something, to a different assignment that will require a more thorough, devoted, wholehearted approach. You can't get by with gleaning off of the last season's fruit or from your spiritual leaders or from Sunday mornings alone, right? God wants your participation because he loves you and has called you to unique thing. God has something for you, so you must decide whether or not to say yes, right? So where do we start? Right here in the soil. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be going through the parable of the sower today. This parable is found in Mark 4. That's what we'll be reading out of for the majority, but it's also found in Luke 8 and Matthew 13, just for your references. But Mark chapter 4. All right, we're going to start in verse 3 through 8, and then go down to 14 and 20. All right, if you're there, say amen. 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 All right, Mark chapter 4, verse 3. He taught them, uh, listen, a farmer went out to sow the seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. One second. Now I can read my Bible. All right, I was like, I can't say where we are. This font is so small. It's one of those study Bibles. Really need my glasses. Okay, verse three. Listen, a farmer went out to sow the seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell along the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Let's skip down to verse 15. The farmer sows the seed, and it's the word of God. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once and receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, heard the word, accepted it, and produced a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Luke 8:15 version said, the seed sown on good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. All right? So I'm going to take a drink of water really quick. Y'all just say la. Thanks. The seed is the word of God. The soil represents our lives and our hearts. Let's talk about each of these seeds in the different places. Number one, the seeds on the path. The word is never received and is stolen by the enemy. Spiritual warfare is a very real thing. The devil does not want you to hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop because he'll do anything to keep people from realizing their potential in God. 
To allow him victory is to agree with him. And that's sin. He knows the result of what the word in good soil means. It means soul saved, sin abolished, and generations set up for kingdom victory in Jesus. Right? He's got a target on your back, but don't take it too personally because he knows that if you really step into what God's calling you, it's going to affect way more than you. Way more than you. Generations. The generation that you're in needs you. God has put you here on this earth for a purpose at this time, right? So what does the enemy stealing the seed so it's never received look like? A couple things. One of them is a lack of understanding. The other is results of a calloused heart. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but it's an appetite for sin. They have no appetite for what God is saying or doing. They want no part of it. Pride and fear. Those are the things that the enemy will use with agreement, with agreement of the hearer to not allow the seed to go deep in their hearts. Plants don't go through pavement. And if they do, they don't last a long time. We'll talk about rocky ground in a second. So, Matthew 13, 14 through 15, one of the other accounts of the parable of the sower says this. You don't have to turn there, but if you want to, we're 13 verses 14 and 15. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's hearts have become calloused. For they're hardly here with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. This is not a lack of compassion on God's part, right? It's not. This is a locked door, a hard no from the hearer. There are going to be people who you can preach the best message you've ever preached, or you can prophesy the best, most accurate word from the Holy Spirit you have ever given, and they're going to say no. Should we stop trying? Absolutely not. God's not finished with them. No, 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 no. But everything that happens like that is just a setup for the timeline for God to display his glory and goodness in their lives. It's just the building of a testimony. If we have to see it through the lens of hope and see it through the lens of God's love for them, we'll never stop preaching. We'll never stop trying. We'll never stop witnessing to the calloused hearts because one chip away with every encounter of God's love is chipping away at the pavement for the seed of God to grow deep in the soil of their lives, right? So, without a soft heart, humility, and ears to hear from the Spirit of God, the word sounds like foolishness. It does. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But verse 12 says this, but we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. You need the Holy Spirit to witness. If you think you can do it by yourself because you're cute and you can say good words sometimes <laughs> and you can complete a full sentence, which I barely do, <laughs> you need the Holy Spirit's help because it's the Holy Spirit that unlocks eyes and ears and hearts and we will see scales fall off of people's eyes but we have to understand the reality that it's a spiritual battle that it's not because 
this sounds boring. <laughs> or I don't want Christianity. That's boring. No, there is a very real supernatural activity going around behind the scenes, which is why it's so important that we ask for the Holy Spirit's help. And you have to understand the power of he who lives in you, right? So, to understand requires a yielding, a soft heart, humility, and an admittance to say, I may not understand it all now, but I do understand that God is good and that he loves me, so I'll start this journey with him. If that's you today, if you're like, I don't know much about this. I don't even know if I really want a lot to do with this. You have to understand that God looks on you with love and that he's always going to be here. He's ready. He's ready and he's been waiting on you for a long time. Right? Okay. So let's talk about the seeds on rocky ground. They have no root. They last only a short time. They're received immediately with joy, but they have no root when tested it's revealed to be a fleeting affair. When trouble or persecution comes, it quickly falls away because our attention spans, unfortunately, are very short, right? We know that now, thanks to this little convenient gadget. <laughs> I was like, ooh, that's cool. Five seconds later, I'm thinking about something on the other side of the world that has nothing to do with me. Our attention spans are short. The difference between a fan and a disciple this is what seeds on the rocky ground is. It's the difference between a fan and a, and a disciple of Jesus. It's the difference between people singing Hosanna one week and crucify him the next. This is the difference between people liking the idea of Jesus and loving the reality of who he is. The difference for people here are the people who are here for a good time and the people who are here for a long time. Right? When Christianity is unpopular, will you trust him? Will you still love his bride? Will you badmouth about her on social media? And let me be clear, I have all the empathy and the compassion in the world for people who have been hurt by people who claim Christ. I grew up in the church, seen a lot of bad stuff but I've also seen a lot of glorious good stuff and good people who are yielded to the Spirit of God. And I know that there is hope for a glorious bride called the church. And we're not going away. We're going to be healed. We're going to grow. And we're going to keep going together. And we're going to become the likeness of Christ together. Right? So, when I grew up again, I'm a church kid. My dad is a pastor. I married a fellow PK. And now I have a pastor, dad-in-law. I'm surrounded by men who preach all the time. And that was real fun for me growing up. He was like, well, <laughs> you know what you did. How? Just make it hot. I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. That was weird. No, but I did get a spanking from um, a boomerang. And when I tell people that, they're like, did he throw a boomerang at you? No, he was cleaning out his missions closet. And there was a boomerang from Australia, and I had uh, punched my sister in the face, so I deserved it. And that just is what was on hand. A trophy from the mission field is what required discipline from me that day, which is fine. I'm better for it, so. So, but I loved growing up. I loved going to youth camp. Any youth campers here? 
Yep. I loved youth camp. And youth camp was so awesome because you had such expectancy going in. You're like, oh, God's going to meet us there. We're going to be surrounded by zealous people on fire for God. And it was awesome. But always, on the fourth night, the evangelist would have this message and goes, when you go home, it's going to (laughs) stink. There are people around who don't like God as much as you do. Not in those words. But to say the effect of, you're not going to be in the same environment of fire of God every day of your life. Sometimes it's going to look mundane. Sometimes it's going to look boring. Sometimes it's going to look like a lot of hard work and lack of motivation to serve God with the same zealous fire that you do right now. And we grow up, and now we call youth camp conferences. Right? Hey, I love conferences, though. I'm not down in conferences. I want to host all of the conferences because those are where we are equipped and there's an intense discipleship there and people get imparted amazing things. I love those. That's not what I'm down in. Love you camp, love conferences. But what I'm saying is when the hype is gone and when the stage is cleared and when you don't have someone cheering you on to serve God, will you still be his? When it's not fun every day, when he's called you to more, Will you still say yes? When it looks different, when it looks hard, are you still going to be there? One thing that the seed that was on rocky ground lacked is enough soil for the roots to take because it was crowded. The soil in this parable is your heart. Have you fully given yourself and opened up to Jesus? Have you been vulnerable with him? Have you been honest? with him? Have you shown him what you think he wants to see? Or have you fully opened up your heart and said, Jesus, this is what it is. You can have it. Come in and transform me. Make me new again. Have you fully given your heart to him? Because when you do, you will find that he's ready to take up his place in your life to be there for the long haul, right? You must make room for him. The second thing that the seed lacked here is moisture. Water is often a representation of the word of God. Here it's the seed, but it's also the rain. To have proper retainment of what God is saying to you, you've got to dedicate yourself to the word. It's so important because how can you hear clearly what God is saying if you don't know what God has said? He's not going to contradict himself. We learn the truth of God, of who he is here, so we learn his character. So we learn his nature, and we know his tone. So it's going to be a lot easier for you to hear his voice about things that you're asking him and praying him for and want direction for if you're in the word daily. This does not mean that you have to get your highlighter out, get your cup of coffee. It's hashtag coffee in Jesus time. (laughs) Five minutes in the morning before I get on my phone, I'm, I'm with Jesus. That's really hard sometimes when you have a two-year-old who's kicking you in the head to wake you up. <laughs> I don't know who that is for, but I receive it, Lord, whoever you're talking to. Whew. We have an almost two-year-old. Oh, Jesus. I love, I love him. So we can't get dehydrated and begin to dry up on what God's placed you in. You need the word. You need the word so much. It's going to give you life. 
You're like, well, this isn't really applicable to me. You know, why do I need to know what's going on in Ephesians 2,000 years ago? Well, the word is always relevant and worship is always appropriate. So the word is always going to communicate to you from the Holy Spirit's help exactly what you need in that hour that you're asking him for. You need to be in the word. You need to be a student of the word. We need to get refreshed in the water of the word often. Number three, the seeds among thorns. This growth is overtaken by life's worries, pleasures of the flesh, and never has the chance to mature. See, the the thorny ground did allow seed to take root and to grow, but its growth was extremely limited because of its surroundings. And ultimately, the thorns stole away the very purpose of the seed to bear fruit. It's going to be very difficult for us to bear fruit when we are constantly surrounded by things that do not serve the same purpose we are called to serve. These thorns are distractions. These thorns promise the possibility of something sweeter, easier, familiar, but our purpose to to choke you. They do not have your best interest in mind. And I'm not talking about distractions like what rest is, because oftentimes we're like, God told me not to watch Netflix anymore because that's a distraction. God told me not to nap. I just need to intercede for three hours until I get breakthrough. (laughs) I'm not saying compromise. Rest is important. But distractions are something that look very innocent sometimes, but form unhealthy habits in your life. It's very tempting to fall back into a belief system contrary to the word of God because it can offer familiarity, it doesn't require much of you, it doesn't challenge you. But the moment you decide to lean on the support of things that God is not interested in, in fact has told you to flee from, you're going to get po- poked by thorns. <laughs> These thorns, the worries of this life, fear that he will not protect and provide. The deceitfulness of wealth, Greediness that chokes out generosity. The desires for a lifestyle like the world's will prevent you from bearing the fruit that you are designed for. Being a disciple of Jesus requires our discipline. That's what it means. It requires our appetites to change. So here it said the seed was never required or never uh, came into maturity. It never bore fruit. Spiritual maturity and the process we're in, we love that word, the process, should really be a pathway. God's not afraid of your process. He'll meet you in the middle of wherever you are. That's not what I'm saying. He loves you and he has all of the compassion in the world for you. But it should lead somewhere. Not a one day, I'm sure. And the next day, I don't know if I'm sure. (laughs) Not so much. Today was hard. I'm sad. Hey, I've been there. I've been there, right? But there has to be something in us that is a resolve to holiness. A resolve to holiness. That doesn't sound very nice. We have grace that empowers us to live a new life with him. 
a new life. And that's okay if we don't understand everything right now. He's not asking you to understand it all, but he's asking you for your heart. He's asking you for your yes. He's asking you to put your faith in him. Put your faith in him. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith, right? So when we say yes, no matter how small and weak the yes may feel in the moment, it's still a step towards him. It's still a step towards him. And guess what? When you step out, he comes running. That's who he is. He's the good father who meets you on the road. We need a resolve to holiness because that is the only way we're going to mature. Mature leaders are the ones who show up. They may not have it all together. They're not going to be perfect, but they keep showing up. They keep choosing him every day. They're the ones who have enough humility to grow and to say, I see this need here, and I'm going to meet it. That's what leaders do. They're not surface area believers, but their roots grow deep, and they cut back the distractions so that the light of God shines brightly on them. He's not afraid to prune back the distractions because it can feel very overwhelming. If I'm in a hole here, the thorns have grown up and over my life, and I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this. I can't do it by myself, and you can't do it by yourself. But we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit who is always there to help. You are never alone. You don't have to do this alone. That's the beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit. He's very involved. He's very involved. And you have to recognize that he's there. And he's saying, do you need help? Let me help you. Do you need help? I'm here for this. He loves you. He's not going away. And he's always worth it. Right? All right. Number four, seed sown on good soil where the word is received. It's retained and it produces fruit. It's heard, accepted by persevering, produces fruit. You know what some of the richest soil in the world is, where it is? Well, I googled it and I'll let you know. So, is anybody here from Iowa? Have family in Iowa? Hey, congratulations. You have the richest soil in the world. Fun fact. Yes, very fun fact. So, <laughs> Iowa's rich Soil is developed under the prairie plants and was held tightly by them. When prairie plants die, their, decomp their decomposition returns nutrients to the soil, creating a rich, black, silty soil. When Iowa land was first plowed, the settlers found 14 to 16 inches of topsoil. Iowa has a very fertile soil because it also gets 24 to 36 inches of rain each year. And its soil's moisture capacity is also key to its fertility. The soil's ability to retain the rain eliminates the need for an irrigation system, thus making the production costs lower. Right? It retains the rain. It doesn't need a message on Sunday morning to feel on fire for God. <laughs> it goes and does it itself. <laughs> 
We have the honor and responsibility of diving deep into the word. So the ground took on the things that had died and transformed it into something that enriched the soil. Do you hear me? God can take the dead, the ugly discarded things in your life and use it for extraordinary purposes. Right? Do we have anybody who composts in here? You're better than me, you're better than me, you're better than me, you're better than me. I can't compost. <laughs> I can. You, you teach me, thank you. But man, I accidentally compost sometimes when I forget <laughs> about the bananas in the trash can. <laughs> and it begins to stink. But the purpose of compost is to add a fertilizer to the soil to enrich it. The things that God, that looks like a mess, God can turn around to actually make you see his goodness and his glory on display and enrich your life. These challenges, these heartbreaks, these years of tilling the ground are now being used to produce supernatural fruit. You think God can't use that part of my story? No. <laughs> he wants it all. So we must ask, what is your life producing? If you are a believer, it should look like this. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to cultivate a lifestyle of wholehearted devotion, it should be bearing fruit. It requires some groundwork. We should care about our character, right? Character is so important, not only for your witness, because who wants to hear about Jesus from someone who flipped them off in traffic? <laughs> right? You know what's awkward? If you have a little road rage and then you're going to the same place. <laughs> and what's worse, the Holy Spirit gives you a word for them and you're like, no. <laughs> I hope they don't recognize me. Right? We should care about our character. It's important. The fruit born by a willing heart, water from the word, an interaction and submission to the Holy Spirit. This is that fruit. It will benefit you. It will feed your life. It's going to feed and provide for not just you, but for the generations after you. Because Proverbs 13.22 says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Can your children, your spiritual children, the people around you in your life that come after you, look back on the vineyard of your life and say they were committed to Jesus. And I am now benefiting from their devotion to him and now have seeds of my own to sow. Are the people in your life benefiting off of the fruit of your life? Right? I'm so thankful for the men and the women who chose to put in the work. Who chose to deny their flesh and devote themselves to the Lord. The fruit of their life has provided shade for me in hard times and a safe place to land. I want to be that for others. 
I want our kids to look back. I want the people in this church 10 years from now to look back and say because of their yes, because of their hunger, because of the fruit that they bore in this season, we are now benefiting off of that. There is now a beautiful garden of the Lord flourishing here because we chose to say yes, and we chose to resolve to holiness, and we chose to resolve to a consecration of the Lord here in this house. It's his. And the production of that is fruit. The result of that is fruit. I want to have a lifestyle of wholehearted devotion to Jesus that has said yes to receiving the word and then watching it grow. It's going to take time. It's going to take time, but that's part of the fun of it. It really is. If you want to know what the process looks like, it's saying yes to Jesus, and then the next day, yes to Jesus, and then the next day, Yes, to Jesus. And then suddenly you're going to start seeing these buds of fruit in your life and some of these results of you interacting and submitting to the Holy Spirit and the results of, oh my goodness, I read that verse the other day and it's come to mind exactly when I needed it to. Oh my goodness, this is the fruit of the Spirit that's showing up slowly but surely in my life. Being a disciple will cost you. For some, it costs their lives. And that sounds really romantic, but what does that really look like in the day-to-day? It's going to cost you. It's re- going to require something more of you than a Sunday morning gathering. It will cost you comfort. It will cost you time. It will cost you relationships sometimes. It will cost you old habits. It will cost you excuses for behavior that used to be okay. But the promise is this, a beautiful garden of life full of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not, going always, it's not always going to be pretty. It's not going to be perfect. But when we serve him in purity and wholeheartedness, it's going to be good and it's going to be worth it. Amen? Let's stand up. Let's pray. I have a couple propositions for you this morning, if you're willing. All right. So... Let's close our eyes. Jesus, there may be some in this room who've had calloused hearts and cement has grown over their garden, but we're asking for the beautiful pickaxe of the Holy Spirit to come in and chip it away with your kindness that leads us to repentance and your goodness that sustains us and your faithfulness that we trust in. So Jesus, If there's somebody in this room this morning that needs you, that says, I'm committed. I want you, Lord. Come and be the Lord of of my life. If that's you this morning, just say in your own way, Jesus, come and be Lord. I need you. I repent of my sin. I'm committed and devoted to following you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're in this room this morning and you need to remove some rocks from your life, And say, no matter what trouble comes, I'm devoted to Jesus again. I'm not here just for a good time. I want to be here for a long time. I want my roots to grow deep. 
If you're here and you need God's help to cut back the thorns and distractions from your life so you can start bearing fruit, today is your day. God is coming in with his garden shears and he's cutting back the distractions. But listen, listen, you need to participate. How do we do that? Holy Spirit, come in, I need your help. Teach me self-control. Teach me discipline, because I know that it will serve me well, so I can serve you well. If you're here this morning, you say, God, I am asking for you to bless the soil of my heart. Bless the fruit of my life. Bless the generations to come in the kingdom that will benefit from this devotion right here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I think that we should just all pray right now. If, if you belong to one of these things this morning in your own way, just talk to Jesus right now. Let's all just pray out loud. If you don't know what to pray, pray in the Spirit. If you don't know how to pray in the Spirit, just say, come in and bless me, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. Bless this seed, Jesus. May the seed of your word grow deep in the roots of my heart. May the water of your word come in so I can retain it. And may your Holy Spirit make it grow and grow and grow and grow until it blesses generations. This one and the ones to come after us, we need you. We will say yes to you. We will say yes to you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name. If I could have the prayer team come up. If you're part of the prayer team. And Scott, we can go ahead and put on some music. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. Thank you for each and every heart and here who is receptive to your word, who wants more of you. Father, come in and be the Lord of your church, the great gardener. <laughs> come in and partner with us. We love you. And we want to see the fruit of the Spirit flourish in our lives. Let this church, let this house be good soil, be good ground. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. amen.